This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We use active skin repair all the time in our household. We call it the magic spray. We use it for so many things, but it came in hot recently when Sage fell and busted open his lip and we had our first trip to urgent care for stitches. And now with all the bumps and scrapes that come with summertime, it is very much on the scene. In fact, Mila, my five-month-old, recently got a little cut on her finger and Sage noticed it first and he was like, Mama, I'll go grab the magic spray. He was so jazzed to be able to do it and help her and be a part of it. It's become a staple in our household. You can visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's code VILLAGE for 20% off your order at activeskinrepair.com. Literally, our only job to keep them off the bench, the only thing we have to do, the only requirement is practice. That's it. Even though I am very intentional about not projecting that, it still comes up. something's up and we're going to have to, we would be better trying to work that out in practice than trying to do it right now. Slowly going down that emotional ladder with her, she was slowly calming down. But in my mind, I was like, I'm tired as hell. I want to be reinforcing that belief that when you are in a storm, I'm going to be the safe harbor. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Welcome to our new limited series, Respectful Parenting in Real Life. I get to hang out with some folks and dive into what this work looks like outside of scrolling through Instagram or that picture perfect snapshot of respectful parenting. What does it look like when you drop the ball, when it's messy, when we're imperfect humans or when our kids don't respond perfectly as we planned? Buckle up for some real stories from real humans and I hope that you get to see glimpses of yourself or your kids in these stories to know that you definitely are not alone in this journey. And there's a village of folks walking right alongside you. All right, let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our podcast series about 
But this real life respectful parenting, what it looks like outside of that Instagram perfect world and catching you outside of your scroll here. I get to hang out today with Destiny Davis. And first of all, if you're not following her over on Instagram, you need to be, and we'll chat about that in this episode too, because she's remarkable and also makes me laugh. And I like both of those, but Destiny is a mom of two, a nine-year-old and a four-year-old And we're going to do just as we've been doing, have a real life conversation about what this work looks like in the messy, raw realness as Destiny's a mom. And, you know, I think so often, especially folks who are doing this work, I'm like, I'm going to use the quote, the word influencer in quotes, but like on, on a, on a bigger platform where you're sharing more of this journey. And uh, just the other day, you know what, Destiny, this might hit home for you, somebody I was having a DM conversation with someone over on Instagram and I said something about like having a hard moment with my kid and just like had to walk away from him and take some breaths and come back. And the whole time he's crying, you know, like I, it's not like he was like, yeah, mom, sure. I'll be calm while you go take your deep breaths. He was crying the whole time, but I needed that space to regulate so that I could come back and show up with him and and be like a steady human for him. And she was like, oh my God, that happens to you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, babe, (laughs) sure does. And I was like struck again by this. I think so often it looks like there's this end goal where we're gonna get to a place where we're never dysregulated or kids are never dysregulated and that's not it. So let's dive into this, Jess. How are you today? I'm doing great. I went to the gym this morning, so I'm already off to a good start of the yeah, day. For you. I haven't gone to the gym in years. To be totally <laughs> it had been a while. It's been a while. I'm just getting back into the swing of it. Um, it's one of those things that helps me be a better parent. So I'm trying okay. to prioritize it. Yes. Good for you. Good for you. Well, just before we hit record, uh, we were having a conversation and I was like, stop saying what you're saying, because I really want people to hear this. And so I want you to like, you were sharing this analogy that I think is rad. Can you share it again for us, please? Yeah. So I think a lot of the issues I see in my community is that people are starting out from this behavioral standpoint understanding like we need to fix our kids behavior um and as you move into understanding you know we need to allow space for the emotions and the experiences and all of that the idea of it working feels very heavy and we start to personalize their behavior because they're like oh no my kid was fine before when I was using punitive measures they were so well behaved and now all this stuff is coming out um and so and even I have those moments where I'm like oh god this, is this too much panic? Is this too much emotion? Or we've been practicing this. Why isn't this working now? Uh, so I like to encourage my parents with this analogy that I think really reminds us that this is about teamwork. There's a certain level of responsibility that is ours and a certain level of just circumstance. And so the analogy I like to use is that our, our kids are a player in a game and we are literally our only job to keep them off the bench. The only thing we have to do, the only requirement is practice. That's it. That's where our scope of responsibility is because we can't, you know, we can't manage what happens when they're at school or with the other parent or any of those things. My job is that regardless of what kind of day we're having, we're still going to practice this, you know, and practice may look different, but are you practicing? That's it. If you're practicing, your child's going to get better. Um, and they're going to be better at some skills than they are at others. But my job is to, I just got to keep you off the bench. And in order to do that, 
we just have to practice. And so in those moments where I'm like, ah, is this working? My, my mind goes, are you practicing? <laughs> Even if today's practice doesn't necessarily look as good as yesterday's, your requirement is to practice. And in some tantrum moments, our practice looks like we're talking through it and we're breathing through it. And other tantrum moments, that looks like we're doing nothing. And in other tantrum moments, that looks like she's yelling and I get frustrated and then we have to come back and do repair. But we are conscious and intentionally practicing. And that's good enough. That is good enough. It really is. Yeah. That's what they need. They need the practice of it. Totally. I love that analogy so much because I think it does take the pressure off of that end destination, right? Like yes. if we're always in practice mode, then we're always moving forward, right? Like we're always, it, there isn't a space where it's like, okay, we're done practicing now. <laughs> it, it, we're always going to be coming back to practice. That's rad. I just, the other day we were out for like a little sled ride. I'm in Vermont. So it's just cold for, you know, I don't know, 12 months of the year. And we, <laughs> a friend came over and we had our babies out on little sleds and we're pulling them. And my little guy was over it. And we yeah. still, we were not at home yet. We were on our way back home, but we were not there. And he is, starts like arching his back in the sled. He's going to like fall out of the sled into the house now. And I, in this moment was like, you know, we, I like dropped down. I motion coached him for a little bit. And then I was like, we're going to keep going. <laughs> we're not going to live here in this snowy path. Like we're going to get back to home and he's going to have hard feelings on the way there. And it's going to be okay. Like I had to allow myself because in those moments I can feel, I can feel that pressure of, okay, we're in a group setting. Like we're all trying to get someplace. I've already stopped us once to like emotion coach him and slow the pack down. And now like, what's this going to look like? I ultimately I ended up holding him in my arms and dragging the sled behind me. Cause he was going to fall, fall out of the sled into the snow through his tantrum. And then we like got back home and after they had left and we, it was probably like actually like two hours later, he and I were just playing and I was like, bud, when we were on that sled ride home, you seemed really frustrated and he squeezed his fist and went, which is what we do for frustrated. And I was like, yeah, you seemed really frustrated that we were still going and you felt all done. And uh, he just kept doing this. Oh, and I was like, okay, that's it. Like that for me is the practice. Did he access that in the moment as a 10 month old? No, not in that moment. You know what I mean? Like in the moment he was body backwards off the sled. And, but then when we got back to like that regulated state, we could revisit that and he could start to practice. Like, this is what I do when I'm frustrated. And now as we do it more and more, like every once in a while, I see this glimpse of like, he's frustrated and he squeezes his fists and grunts. And I'm like, great. Like we're going to see glimmers of it. And still we're going to have the sled tantrum, <laughs> you know? And like what, when you're looking at your kids here at four and nine, are there different ways that this shows up for them, both at the different ages, but just in terms of like who they are as humans? Yeah, heck yeah. So the four-year-olds, I guess her, not issue, but her challenge right now is really just being dysregulated, like a four-year-old. Just, okay, let's calm it down. It's time to do this. Or just extremely overstimulated. She is the epitome of a four-year-old. <laughs> Um, and then the nine-year-old is very much 
emotional. She's in a very emotional stage right now and gets very frustrated, very angry, um, sometimes aggressive. And both of them, what you just said, is the way that we practice. You know, the mental gymnastics when you're trying to figure out how to dress your baby or your toddler for bed, Posh Peanut is the bomb for this. It has a two-way zipper, so nighttime changes with Mila at five months old. You're doing that like middle of the night, don't want to get too woken up. Diaper changes have never been easier. I can just zip up from the bottom. Don't have to fully undress her, which means less fussing, a quicker return to those precious hours of sleep, which let me tell you right now, we're trying to grab every second of sleep that we can. And of course, Posh Peanut clothes are made from the softest viscose from bamboo. It is incredibly gentle on my babe's skin and the breathability helps keep her comfortable all night long. I'm not worrying about like, is she too hot? Is she too cold? Is this the right sleep sack? We have the AC on now. How does that factor into this? It is so perfect. Also, you can find the cutest little fabrics. I have my eye on a truck set for Seiji that is next in my cart. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. You can go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village. Promo code VILLAGE. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. Sometimes I use my tools in the moment to try to move the moment along. And sometimes it does work. Sometimes rationalizing or, you know, regulating breaths and, uh, you know, transitions and um, redirecting those kind of discipline tools work in the moment, right? Sometimes they don't. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing that I can do is regulate myself so that I can be present because this too shall pass, right? But we both, well, with both of my kids, I come back and do that, that recap. That's one of the most powerful tools for practice, right? Because you don't practice during the game. You you practice, it's about maintenance. And so we always come back, um, especially at the end of the day. So with the nine-year-old, for instance, um, yesterday she was having a really hard time for good reason, because we didn't get to spend a lot of time yesterday. She's gone on the weekends. Mondays are always very difficult. And I'm very intentional about connecting, reconnecting on Mondays. And we didn't have that yesterday. So I knew that when it was bedtime, the fury was coming. And so I was already prepped and prepared for it. Um, and she had like a, maybe like a 10 minute tantrum. And when she finally, she just like balls and lets it out. And I'm just like, yes, 
oh God, soften. Like we've gone from <laughs> anger to sadness. We're going up the scale. This is great. And so after she eased from that space and we were in um, a regulated space, we just recapped what happened. And I think that's that integration of, you know, left brain and right brain, that whole brain where we're talking about the experience in a very rational way, black and white. You didn't get to spend time. You got angry. You started yelling at me. You said these things. And you then the emotional piece, like you felt this and validating those emotions and those feelings and bringing it together and saying, you know, you were angry, you were upset, you felt hurt. And then you got, you know, you got your feelings out and it wasn't in the most productive way, but mommy was still there to support you. And I was still there to hold you through that. And here we are now and we're feeling better. We're connecting and, you know, talking through the experience in that way is so powerful because like you said, even if it's not in the moment, she's still practicing it. She's still practicing being able to say, this is what's happening. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I need. And that's really what integration is. And that's really what regulation in the moment is. So if she's practicing it with me then, then eventually when, you know, she didn't get what she wanted, we didn't get to connect. She can, she can articulate that as, you know, as she gets older, I'm frustrated because I didn't get to spend time with you. And I, I need a little bit more time. I know my bedtime is usually, or my bedtime is usually 930. Could I stay up 15 more minutes so we can watch some TikToks or so that we can color or something like that? That's that's what the you know a goal goal eventually is, but I can't just expect her to practice that when it's really hard. We have to practice outside of the moment so that they can eventually get better at recalling it in the moment. Yeah, I love it. My dad, I grew up in a basketball household. I have four brothers and uh we all played, and my dad coached, and my dad is like he often wears a Hawaiian shirt. He would be like sitting and he, the calmest dude on the sidelines. And I remember being young and at one point, like observing like a coach, like yelling and screaming during the game, running up down sidelines. And it was just so opposite of my dad. And I asked him about it and he was like, yeah, I don't have to, most of my coaching happens in practice. Like when we're at the game, these guys know what to do and we'll adjust things and we'll call timeouts and we'll chat. But they know what they're doing because we practice it. And this is just, I was like, my dad is going to love this analogy. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to have him tune into this one. Uh, but yeah, I, I dig it so, so much. And I think, you know, when we're, when we're looking at that, of like, she feels disconnected, right? She doesn't feel like she has had time to connect. And so her nervous system feels disconnected. It makes sense to have the big feelings and the nervous system reaction to that. And then she comes back together to connect with you. And throughout all of that, she knows that you're there for her hard stuff, that you're not just sitting on the sidelines when she's hitting threes right like you're there when she gets teed up and you're there for her hard stuff and that's so much more powerful I mean even as adults when we think about like there are people that show up when there's something to celebrate and those aren't the people that I think of as Brene Brown calls them our marble jar folks like who are the folks who are adding marbles to your jar and these are people that like yeah when it's when it's down and dirty and you're in a hard space those are the ones that show up that's what you're doing for your kid it's easy to be there when she's having a good time (laughs) but somebody to help you like integrate those experiences and just a note that's why I feel like even if your child is not in crisis I think just having a counselor or therapist 
is so beneficial because it shows your children that you can access the space in more than one way. That I don't totally. have to be the only, only person that, you know, you can integrate your experiences with, that you can talk about your experiences with. That's why I think that that's so important because it, I'm glad that my child has that in me, but at the same time, I want her to have that in as many people as possible. And I teach her communication skills so that way that can be a friend, you know, you can talk to your friend and she tells me conversations she's had at school. And I'm just like, I was not having those conversations, but she'll say, yeah, like this happened. And I told her how I felt about it and da, da, da. And I'm like teaching them, not just that they have that in me, but that they're also able to cultivate those spaces in the way that they just communicate about their needs and their feelings is, is really important to me. Totally. That self-advocacy. Yeah, man, I wish I had those skills as a kid. Oh God, it's so the <laughs> the idea of I need, I feel, or like I'm feeling, I need that. I didn't have that language, and I'm like, it literally cuts through so much of the communication problems and of needs not getting met, and it's it's really the way that we practice articulating ourselves. I always come back to that when I'm seeing like the attitude like rising up. I'm just like, hey, I'm here. Like, what are you feeling? What do you need? What do you need? Mm-hmm. I constantly come back to that again, because that's when we do the work in practice. Yeah. Oh, I dig it. I dig it so much. I think that we can get, we, we can get so focused on that behavior. And you brought up a really good point at the beginning of like, when you're moving away from maybe punitive styles, or even if it's just a part of you from your childhood that like comes up and is like, oh, should I be like, the reality is we can get short-term results way faster with punishment or fear or even reward systems, right? We can get short-term results way faster. And someone in our village membership the other day was talking about short-term versus long-term goal. Sometimes living in that short-term goal of like, you know, I was talking about how my little guy was sick and all of a sudden, like the way we were navigating sleep was different because usually I would put him down. He has a little sloth stuffed animal. He rolls around, plays with it, chaps, goes down to sleep. And then he was sick and stuffy and couldn't fall asleep. and was having a hard time getting comfy. So I was holding him and helping him fall asleep and waiting till he was pretty asleep and then putting him down so that he could get into that sleep. And I was chatting about this in our membership. And we were talking about how like, that's a short-term goal for me, right? Like I don't, I I am not my most regulated self when I'm spending 15 minutes putting him down for bedtime every time. Like that for me doesn't work. And we have this other system in place when he's healthy. But when he's sick, I'm going back to my short-term goal. However, when he's not, we're looking at long-term goals, right? I'm looking at like what is our what, what are we looking at down the road? What skills do I want them to have? And for me, I think so often when we're doing that punishment, fear, punitive, or reward system approach, we are losing things like that self-advocacy. We're losing that opportunity for them to say, I feel and I need yeah. when we're just trying to get the behavior to stop. Yeah, that's so, so true. That's so true. And honestly, we still come up in those moments, especially if you aren't regulating, you're tired. Those moments where like, you are like, I need the behavior to stop. Like you feel (laughs) that, like I need her to stop yelling or I need him to like, just brush your teeth so we can go to bed because I've been up since four o'clock in the morning. Um, And we, I, I definitely still have those moments. And I think for me, it's about finding the best way to articulate that, but also just finding the best way to like lean into this is what it is. Like last night when she was having that moment, I was so tired 
and I wanted to go to bed and I was just like, she needs me. If I go in my room, she's not going to go to bed. Like she's literally <laughs> so dysregulated that she's not going to go to bed. And I was like, I mean, I could like scare her into going to bed. I could force her into going to bed or I can just, all I have is a, a sit here. And I just literally was sitting. I was like, she, we're not leaving the room. We're not going to leave the room. We'll stay in this space. And I just sat on her door and I was just like, I'm here whenever you're ready. Like, I'm totally here. I hear everything that you're saying. And um, she like just laid on her bed and I went and sat on her bed and I was like, can I touch your foot? Like just slowly going down that emotional ladder with her. She was slowly calming down. But in my mind, I was like, I'm tired as hell. But so I don't have a lot of energy to put into this, but I got enough energy to sit on this bed. Like, yeah, <laughs> all I got right now is enough energy to sit on this bed. And I think that the more we resist in those moments, the harder it is for us to actually get past them. I feel like the minute I lean into like, this is what my child is experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. And she needs my help. That's what it is. It's like, we don't need to fix the behavior. Or like your dad said, like they know, she knows. Mm-hmm. She totally knows. So I don't need to, to fix this. This is obviously she's having a hard time accessing what she knows. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You could be the best three-point shooter and have an off game. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much I yell at you to, you know, sink it. Yeah. Something's up and we're going to have to, we would be better trying to work that out in practice. Totally. Than, than trying to do it right now. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, we, we recently in our membership, we have like guest Q and A sometimes we had someone come on recently who's an occupational therapist and she was sharing about um, like safety posture. And, you know, when we look in nature and we see where like an animal is dysregulated, we'll see that cortisol pump in They're like, they're in a fear fight place. And another animal comes up and like postures and gets big and gets scary. And then you just have this cortisol loop, right? Like it's fear against Mm -hmm. fear. It's fight against fight. And that when we're in that space and we have our kids that are in that fear space, they're dysregulated. They're not in their whole brain, whether it's they're freezing, they're fleeing, they're fighting, whatever they're in, especially in that fight space though. I think we see this, that we then get big a lot of the time, right? Like we're like, I'm going to I'm going to overpower and control. Yep. And that instead, really what makes that nervous system calm down is doing exactly what you did where you're going to sit down. I'm going to be at their eye level. My shoulders are relaxing and opening up my body saying, I'm not a threat. Yeah. I'm not a threat to you. And in that, from the emotional side, we're saying I can handle your hard stuff, right? Like I'm not afraid of your big things. I'm here and can be here with you. And sometimes it's deflecting hits and kicks and stuff in the moment too but really like signaling totally but signaling like I'm a safe spot for you and that's exactly what you did and it's sometimes for us it's like this is all the energy I have is to Mm -hmm. sit but really like that can be enough yeah and I don't want to create the conflict because like we said earlier when we do those recaps within the recap they need to understand and I'm still going to have you I still got your back we, we move through the moment together. And so I don't want to do anything that contradicts that belief for her. Mm-hmm. I want to be reinforcing that belief that when you are in a storm, I'm going to be the safe harbor. And so anytime she's frustrated and I feel myself like about to power over, that's when I'm like, I, I tell my parents all the time when they're, if you don't know what to do, then just don't do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do anything until you get back into the rational part of your brain 
you know, and just be that safety because we, they do mirror us. They really do. They do mirror us. Um, and every tool is not going to work in every moment. Uh, but I find that we have better access to those tools when we first just regulate and calm down. Totally. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Totally. What roadblocks come up for you personally in this work? What are your biggest, I guess, or what's your biggest challenge in doing this? Even when you know all the things in the practical real life application. Um, I think for me, sometimes when my daughter is tantruming, like, and I've had this conversation recently is that I wasn't allowed to have anger. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, like, I wasn't have, allowed to have big emotions. Um, they were either shut down or like shamed. And so sometimes when my daughter is having big emotions, I feel like my inner child is like, that's not fair. Like <laughs> that is, that's not fair. Or you're a kid, like kids are not allowed to have those kind of emotions. Like you can be sad, you know, you can be upset, but like you're pissed. Like, no, you are not allowed to be pissed. Um, and so it, even though I am very intentional about not projecting that, it still comes up. Of course. And so I have to do so much more regulation of myself when she's having those moments. And I really do have to like coach myself through those moments. Whereas like other times it just happens naturally. Her anger, me holding space for anger does not happen as naturally as holding space for like her sadness or her frustration. Totally, that makes sense. Is there 
any fear there societally of how she'll be perceived as a black girl who's angry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want that perception. I can say that I like, I don't want that perception, but at the same time, the perception in itself is wrong <laughs> and, and everybody, yeah, everybody else is allowed to be mad. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. allowed to be mad. My daughter that's going to grow up and be a black woman. She's allowed to be mad. And in order for me to teach her effective ways to communicate that anger, I have to first hold space for the anger. Like she has to, I have to let her rage and roar in order to teach her how to dial it back because I don't want it to scare her. Um, I want her to be familiar with that feeling. And so I say that when we do our recap and that's what the validation piece of it is, but I still have to model. Like totally. while she's having her anger, I have to model like, you know, and when we do our recaps, I think it's very important that I'm validating my feelings in those recaps as well. And so letting her know, because I want her to be able to see like, yeah, I was angry during that. I was, I was mad during that, you know, so she can see, okay, you can be angry and still, you know, regulate yourself and express that in an effective way. Because I don't want her to think that mommy is just like this calm person that never has mm-hmm. feelings. Totally. I don't want her to think that because I don't yeah. want her to grow up and be like, okay, there's something wrong with me because mom doesn't get mad. Mom mm-hmm. doesn't get pissed. Yes, mom does. Um, but mom makes requests, need requests or set boundaries or whatever. Um, so that's definitely one of the most difficult things for me. Another one is like, and it happened yesterday too, is knowing when to back off a tool when it's not working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because as effective as these respectful parenting tools can be, they can actually move into like a hurtful space if we try to push too much. Like for instance, with my four-year-old, if I'm trying to validate her feelings and talk through it, like I know, I know you're mad. It pisses her off. Like she's like, stop saying, I know, you don't know, (laughs) shut up. And so it's like back off. But yesterday I was like rationalizing with my daughter, which is something that used to work so well. Like I'd be like, well, I'm like, well, look, this is for our responsibility. We're working as a team. Remember, I'm helping you get more responsible. Like, let's just work it out. And she was not responding. I just kept going on this conversation of trying to make it make sense for her instead of like, she's literally not in the rational part of her brain. Doesn't just She can't hear me. (laughs) She cannot hear me. Exactly. I I literally use that analogy all the time. Like, it doesn't matter how well you're articulating yourself. Somebody's in the next room. They can't hear you. And she was in the next room. Um, and so I think that's also something that I struggle with, with having the, the, um, like being able to be outside of the situation and see it and being like, this is not effective destiny. Like, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think that that's huge. And I think that so many of us fall into that where we're like, no, I'm going to bring these tools in and whatever. And yeah, sometimes we're just getting through the moment and exactly. the work's happening in repair and we're going to try something else again next time, <laughs> or maybe even that same thing next time. But yeah, I hear that. Um, it's interesting. I have a hard time holding space for anger with boys more than girls. I think like there's this part of me that's like, no, girls need to feel angry. We haven't been allowed to feel angry. And so we're, you can feel all your anger. And with boys, I'm like, "Mm -mm. listen, there's so many more feelings other than anger. What you're showing is anger on the surface, but I want to know what's actually happening below the surface, right? Like I have this like societal um, acceptance of anger in boys. And we, and so for me, I'm like, 
I, it's almost like this part of me that's like, no, we're going to rewrite this ship. And, but it's like swinging the pendulum, right? right. And I'm <laughs> like direct. really mindful of that, of like, nope, boys are also allowed so to be allowed like, angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that comes up for me where it's like the opposite where girls can, but boys can't. Uh, sorry, that's a, It's that. ironic though, because I'm, I don't get triggered like that when she's angry about anything except me like when it's, like if she comes home and she's like yeah and she had the nerve to take my piece of popcorn I'm like what tell me we're like I'm yeah let's express this but like when it's like mom I hate you you're the worst I'm just like oh okay one two three four five six seven eight, nine, <laughs> it's so funny that in it that's probably some of my my trauma as well coming up where it's like I grew up in a very like not chaotic household, but our emotions were so extreme. When we were happy, it was like, ah, and when we were mad, it was like the same thing. And so it really goes from zero to a hundred yeah. <laughs> internally. And I have to coach myself through that, um, which I'm, I'm glad I have that experience because I, for the parents in my community that are still feeling very real things when they're parenting, I want them to know, like, you can regulate those things and you can get better with practice, you know? Yeah, totally. And you're going to drop the ball. That's part of practicing. Exactly. What, what do you, just as my final question here, what do you think is often missing in the respectful parenting community, like discussion and tools and resources, blah, blah, blah. Like what's, what's one piece of the puzzle that you wish was more talked about? One piece of the puzzle, the respectful parenting puzzle that I wish was more talked about. Definitely kind of what we've been talking about, which is what I think I bring to the space is that it's difficult a lot. <laughs> it's difficult a lot and it's challenging in some way every single day. And I think that idea of whether or not it's working feels a lot heavier for us because we take so much of the intention and the responsibility. And so I, I think that that's definitely missing in the space because we it's there's this like oh yeah you're doing a good job and there's grace but I don't think that parents really understand that everybody in this space is having a hard time <laughs> like it's not it's not an easy thing um and I think that sometimes we think it's supposed to be easy just because we're teaching our kids these wonderful things that do help you become a whole healthy adult but they're practicing. Yeah, they're not <laughs> there yet. And we're not there messy, yet. Right. And we are practicing because a lot of us were not raised like this. And a lot of us literally spent a lot of our adult lives operating without boundaries, without um, empathy and compassion and all of the things that make up respectful parenting. And so if you have two beings that are literally in practice mode, yeah, like this is beta. Okay. <laughs> this is the beta version of our relationship and so we're ironing out the kinks and the fact that we're actually doing the work is yeah. why it's so hard totally and again to bring it back to sports for a minute because I've loved this practice analogy this hits home for me it like you would never it would be outrageous to look at anyone that is an athlete and be like yeah a hundred percent of the time they win every game, they hit every shot, they get every board, they, whatever, like that's outrageous. You know, the Olympics are on right now. And like, there's not one Olympic athlete that a hundred percent of the time nails all those things, you know? Yeah. And like, so I think like this idea 
that any of us are going to 100% of the time. I have never in my life left a day with kids and been like, I was perfect today. I nailed it. Never. And it's, it, I think like that as an expectation is bonkers, right? Like it just is not, I think, I think you do bring this to the space in such a beautiful way. And I think it's something that is really lacking. It, one thing that I feel like I struggle to share is how to share like my challenge without sharing my child's challenge. Like it's something, I feel like you do it very well. It's something that like when I comes to that, I just end up going quiet because I, in an effort to try and respect him, I don't know how to share it well. And I think that you do this really well. And I think that it is really important to be sharing like, yeah, just like I said, that person DMs, it was like, that happens to you. It's like, yeah, that happens to all of us. That yeah. Like all of us are having the kid throwing the tantrum on the sled on the way home, you know, and like carrying them in our arms and dragging a sled behind us. And in that moment, I'm not like, this is exactly how I want this to go. <laughs> this is perfect. No, we're getting through that. And yeah, I think you do a really good job of sharing both the challenge and the like, and it's for something in the long yeah. run, like they are building skills and it's going to be messy on the way there. It's going to be messy when you get there. Like, I have an adult relationship, like my uh, parent, um, partner and I have both been doing this work for a long time. We have beautiful communication and often we'll drop the ball and we'll yeah. have to come back. And just the other day, he was like, you okay? And I hate that phrase because what it really means is I'm sensing something for me. I'm sensing I'm something, like, right. <laughs> and I just turned and snapped and said, is there another way you want to ask that? And <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's real. You know what I mean? And like, I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think the, the more we see people sharing the mess, the more it could normalize the mess. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Oh, thank you, Destiny. Destiny, where can folks connect with you if they are somehow living under a rock? They're not following you yet. <laughs> where, where can they find you? On Instagram, it's manifest destiny, and that's D E S T I and I. I have an I at the end of my name, and then on TikTok, it is destiny dot an a n n. Awesome! Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram, hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 